Well, good morning. As Chris said, my name is Devin Tharp. I'm the family pastor here at Good Shepherd and, and love the opportunity I have to serve this church, especially around families and parents and overseeing next generation. And so today I get the privilege and the honor of actually leading a conversation about how do we influence the next generation? How do we do that as parents, as guardians, as grandparents? How do we do that as a church? And you know, the, the phases, uh, we, during the series we've been talking about phases and how we go through different phases in life. And especially for the next generation, they go through a lot of phases. They start off as just little babies, little infants, and then before we know it, they're walking or they're running, and we're trying to keep up with them as parents, and it can be exhausting during that phase. And then before we know it, boom, they're in elementary school, and then things really speed up, because then you get to middle school, and then high school, and then, man, before you realize it, you're taking pictures at graduation, you're like, as a parent and a grandparent, so many times we feel like, where did the time go? How did that happen so fast? It seems like I, I ran out of time. And so we wanna leverage every moment we can in each phase, because each phase that they go through is, is important. It's valuable, and so we don't wanna miss it. And some of those phases, let's be honest, as, as parents and those who, who care for our kids, some of those phases are really fun. Like, I love this phase. This phase is so much fun. And then sometimes we're like, this phase is not very fun. It's challenging. It's annoying. I haven't I haven't slept in weeks. I mean, sometimes that's how we feel as parents. And so how do we leverage every moment? And as a congregation, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or whether you're just a neighbor of some teenagers, it's our responsibility, according to Scripture, to pass on our faith. And the Bible gives us some real clear evidence of how to do that. Sorry, my hands are only so big. I can't hold the mic and the Bible at the same time. Maybe I should invest in a smaller Bible. Um, but I want to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And this is written, uh, it was actually God directing Moses to speak to the Israelites, to parents and grandparents and the whole nation about how to influence the next generation. This was written thousands of years ago, but man, these principles are still true today. Let me read it to you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you drive along the road. Oh, sorry, that, that's walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What Moses directing the people of God there is, in everyday ways, talk about your faith. Allow your faith to be part of your everyday life and your influence the next generation. And that's what we want to do today. Talk about how do we do that in our culture? Because parenting at times is challenging in our culture. There's a lot of things that come against us, even as parents or grandparents. We want to influence the next generation. So how do we do that effectively. So we asked a lot of you over the last couple of weeks, submit questions that you have. So we're taking those questions and we're inviting our panel to share their answers on these questions. And the thing I love about our panel is every single one of these people up here, they work with kids and parents and families every single week. And so they, they have a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom to share. So I want to invite them to actually introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about you and what you do with kids and families. Is it on? Okay. Hi. 
Um, <laughs> so I'm Courtney Barnett. I'm a licensed clinical mental health therapist. Um, I also um, do play therapy, and I specialize in children and adolescents. Um, I also specialize in trauma, and I am the on-site counselor here at Good Shepherd. Well, I think a lot of you know me. I'm Matthew Hargett. I'm the student pastor here at Good Shepherd, and I've been working with teenagers since I was 19. So somebody asked me that last night. I was like, that's 18 years. This year, I, I was at camp, and somebody said, wow, you're a unicorn. Your hair is really gray. <laughs> so I've been working with teenagers and families for a long time, and I have two boys of my own, three and six. So just like every parent, I'm trying to figure out how to navigate these new challenges that are coming up how we're navigating out of COVID-19, how we're navigating things like social media, technology, devices. We're trying to figure this out right now along with you. So I've got my own family that I'm trying to parent as well in this time. And so hope I'm able to share something with you guys. Good morning, I'm Tia Tharp. I am married to Devin Tharp. And I'm a mom of two teenagers, and I also have volunteered with Devon in student ministry for over 20 years. I had to do the math there really quickly. I'm older than I like to pretend that I am. And I'm executive director of Brightside Youth Ranch. We work with kids facing crisis and trauma, and we point them to Jesus by partnering with them with a mentor and horses, and we do some, a lot of fun activities with them, but finding the ultimate source of hope and healing in Jesus. So awesome. And I just want to acknowledge, Matthew was here last night in an event with students at 10 o'clock last night. So just the commitment level, I love it. He's, he's here ready to go. Yeah, and if you guys want to, we have, a guest, we have some guest worship leaders. Everyone can just look over there at them. They came last with night from Charleston Southern University, and so they're here with us this morning. They want to experience what Good Shepherd's right. like. So Glad y'all are here. Well, let's jump into the questions. So y'all submitted some great questions. We had to sort through some and, and just kind of narrow it down. So the first question is a great question. At every age, kids will experience something challenging. I mean, we just went through a global pandemic. That was challenging for kids, especially. The question is, how should we help kids through those experiences and prepare them for future difficulties? So what would you say about that? Yeah, so this is going to be really fun. I'm going to do a challenging illustration in front of you guys. But when we think about kids, a lot of times, I'm raising a three and six-year-old right now. We can kind of sometimes bubble wrap them and think of them as fragile, but I don't want you to think about children as fragile. I want you to think about them like this tennis ball. When they fall, they bounce back up, and we've got to allow our kids the opportunities to fail, and I know that's really hard. We catch them when they bounce back up, and we hold them with us, but if they don't have the opportunities to fail, they will never grow. They will never know that they have the resiliency and the strength to bounce back up. They'll never be able to know the promise of Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. We have to allow our children to fail. There's a great saying, you don't prepare the child for the road, you prepare the child for the road. And unfortunately, we're getting it backward in today's society. We're trying to prepare the road for the child. We're trying to make all these circumstances and the environment perfect for our children because we're worried about them. And that's okay to be worried about them as a parent, but the best thing that you and I can do is prepare them for the road, prepare them for the struggles that they're gonna face. And that means to fail. That means to experience hardship and struggle. And I get it. The other day as a parent, I'm with my son. We're out on the baseball field and his pack, he's kind of struggling with it. So I wanted to grab it and pull it off of him and carry it for him. I'm like, no, 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 no. He'll never get stronger unless I let him carry the load. We have to find appropriate ways to do that. But we've got to allow our children to fall and to bounce back up. Kids are not fragile. They are stronger, and we have to believe that they're strong enough to bounce back. So good. 
So, and they're resilient. They can handle things. Yeah. What else? So, you know, Devin's describing these phases of development, and as our kids go through that development, we can see that they're changing as they're growing. And sometimes those changes, we're like, okay, we can navigate that. And then sometimes it's from, like, elementary into middle school, and we go, I'm not sure I like these changes. Who is that person in my child's bed? And it it seems overwhelming, and we can feel emotionally blindsided, like unprepared to handle some of those changes. And Good Shepherd has provided resources today that kind of describes those phases and what to expect in those phases. How do you talk to your kids? What are they thinking and feeling? And those can be so helpful to prepare us as parents to enter those phases with our kids. And then I love that illustration of the ball. That was awesome. And it is true. Our kids are going to go through difficult things. And that's hard for us as parents to hear that because we hurt when they hurt. I mean, when my daughter has faced a mean girl, I want to take that and deal with that for her. (laughs) Take that mean girl out. Take that mean girl. You ain't seen a mean girl until you've been mean to my girl. But um, (laughs) sorry, that just kind of came out. But um, (laughs) so, but if I pave those ways for her continuously, then she doesn't learn how to deal with that on her own, and she doesn't develop the coping skills to manage those difficult times. So you mentioned bubble wrap. I think instead of like thinking how we can protect them, because that does come from a good place, but rather than wrapping them in bubble wrap, how can we gear them up for what's next? So I'm into archery off the back of a horse right now, and I have to wear gear for that. So I want to give our kids gear, and some of that starts with me, having a living relationship with Jesus, having that be real and authentic, when it's up and it's down, but I cling to Jesus in the midst of all of that, then that makes it, it makes more sense to our children when I say, hey, turn to Jesus, pray, read the Bible when you're going through difficult things. When you're looking for wisdom and you're looking for peace and strength, then these are who you turn to. You turn to Jesus and you pray and you ask the Lord to to show wisdom in his word. And that makes sense when I have a living relationship with Jesus. And then also some other things, You know, there's a gamut of emotions that we feel every day, and our teenagers and our kids feel that exponentially. So they're, you know, up and down and all over the place with their emotions, and that's okay. Emotions aren't good or bad. It's what we do with them. And we want to help teach them how to manage their emotions in a healthy way. And that could be creating an outlet for it. It could be talking about it. There's lots of different ways that we can create an outlet for their emotions. But creating an attitude of gratitude, creating community, giving them an opportunity to volunteer so that they're thinking outside themselves. Those are all good ways to help gear up our kids. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we sit with them when they're hurting. Not talking at them. I love to talk at my kids sometimes, but that's not always received very well. So sitting with them, reminding them that they are loved by us and by Jesus. Yes, I would add, I love all of that. Um, And I would just add to come see me. Seek therapy, Um, you know, have your children see a counselor, whether that's play therapy, individual therapy, um, even family therapy, everyone together. Um, And I think along the lines of not talking at your child, um, but just listening, you know, just slowing down and listening to them, not judging them, not criticizing them, sometimes just not interrupting. Um, Even when you have the urge to, you want to know why or, you know, get a little bit more, but just just to sit there and to listen to them. Um, And three things that I feel our Father does for us, our Heavenly Father, um, He gives us affection. Um, You know, He loves us. He tells us that we're valued and we're cared for. Um, He gives us correction. 
right? We need that correction. Um, that also shows us that he wants to protect us and keep us safe. Um, and lastly, instruction, um, planning, provision, those types of things. So I think if parents can remember those three things, affection, correction, and instruction, along with just listening and being there um, to encourage our children, um, is most important. That is so good. And I, you know, as a, as a dad, I'm, I'm an affectionate dad. And when my kids got to be middle school and high school, I'm like, oh, do I still hug them? Do I still kiss them? And, and I wrestled with that a little bit. And I finally came to the reality of like, I'm gonna hug and kiss my kids. I'm not gonna embarrass them, but they're still gonna see my affection, even though sometimes they're gonna act like they don't want that. I know they need it. And so I'm still gonna provide it. And that, that's a great word on affection. I think that's such a needed thing in our, in our families. Second question that was submitted, and this is another great question. I think we could do a whole sermon uh, just on this. But when it comes to technology, how do you set healthy boundaries around the use of technology, and why is that important? So I have a favorite illustration about boundaries, and I think we have a picture of, yep, there she is. That's Maple, that's one of our miniatures. Mocha's in the background behind her. So we have eight horses at the ranch, but these two miniatures are separated out from the big horses. They're just a little bit smaller, we're trying to take care of them. So they're in a smaller field, and they don't like it. They wanna be out, and they wanna be roaming around, eating all the good grass, and escaping, and just being free. They don't really like the fences that we've set up around them and they don't see that really as a caring thing. Yet they don't know that around the corner is a busy road with cars that are going super fast on that road. They don't know that that bright green, beautiful grass is gonna make them sick if they eat too much of it. So that boundary, those fences are for their love and their care. And at the Tharp House, we do have some boundaries around technology and devices. So our kids had to be a certain age to receive a cell phone. And then when they did, they had to participate in a contract about the usage of that cell phone so it determined how and when you could use it and when you could not use your cell phone. So for us, our devices have a bedtime and they go on the kitchen counter at night. Well, I want to add that um, I think supervision and communication is key around technology. So I love what you guys have done with your children. Um, but seriously, just being able to acknowledge that if you're going to allow your child to use technology, you have to supervise, you just have to. Um, and it can look differently depending on the age of the child. Um, but just being able to say, hey, here's some ideas. And I love to recommend to families to come up with a technology rules, um, different ideas in their family. So it could be homework or chores before technology. Um, it could just be, hey, look, we're gonna have a screen cutoff time at this time you know, screens are down, um, and it's just being able to engage together. Um, one of my most favorite um, <laughs> um, tips to parents that my teenagers love is it applies for adults. Um, so what you're preaching, what you're teaching, you're modeling for your children. It oh, helps man, now you're preaching, yeah. sister. <laughs> <laughs> it helps. It helps with the buy-in um, because, you know, they're being able to see mom and dad do the exact same things they're expecting of them. Well, when it comes to technology, I think we can kind of demonize it sometimes. And a couple of things I want to say is, this one goes for gamers for just a second. <laughs> I actually heard Shigeru Miyamoto, he's the guy who came up with Maru, he invented him. And I read an, read an interview with him one time, he said, in our house, our kids understand that all our video game consoles belong to dad, and they get to play on them. And I was like, that is such a good way to view those game systems. And so in our house, 
We have a Nintendo Switch. We have an Xbox. They belong to me, and the kids have to ask for permission to play them, and they understand that these devices belong to us. We're getting an iPad this year for Christmas. It's a family iPad, and it belongs to mom and dad. And so just thinking about that, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And when it comes to these technology and boundaries, remember that context matters more than ours. This is from researcher Jonathan Haidt. He says, what kids are doing with their devices, how they do it, who they are, and above all, how it affects their relationships matters more than how much time they spend doing it. We have to know what our kids are doing with their devices. We have to be aware. We've got to be aware of what they're listening to, what they're watching, who they are online. Do you know what profiles, social media profiles your children have? That context matters because they're creating an identity and we've got to monitor that. We've got to know what they're creating online. We've got to know what they're listening to. We've got to know the context of their lives and we can't be afraid to have, like you were saying, that dialogue, right? As parents. You you are the most influential spiritual influence in your child's life. You've got to give them that context. You've got to give them the, those parameters. Yeah, um, you know, in our house, we have a no device night, and that goes for adults. So all devices go on the kitchen table where they go to bed, and, and we play a game or we do something together as a family, typically read scripture or something, and that's once a week. And it, I love what, what you shared, Courtney, about that goes for adults because a lot of times we want to make rules for kids, and then we don't want to follow them. And the greatest thing that we can offer our kids and as parents is modeling, modeling the behavior that we expect. Uh, one of the things Tia referenced was a, a cell phone guide. And actually on our website, we're gonna put up a resource at the end of the, the time together, but there's a parent's guide to giving the first cell phone. And it actually walks you through as a parent, how would you give the cell phone? What would the expectations be? There'd be a contract involved. And that helps your kids know what's expected, what they can do, and what they can't do with that device. And so that's a resource we're gonna be providing for you. Uh, third question, you know, we have a vision here at Good Shepherd around marriage. It's called the Beautiful Marriage Movement. We believe that marriages make a huge difference in the lives of families and in homes. And so here's the question. What is the connection between investing in your marriage and raising your children? Um, well, I would say I think it's um, about finding a practical balance um, of the family needs. Um, so kind of prioritizing. Um, and I love this question, actually, because I, I look at it like God's design, right? So, you know, first we love the Lord, and then you love your spouse second, then you love your children third, um, and then if you have pets, you love them fourth, you know, they come in fourth place, but <laughs> not, not number one or number two. Um, but In my I, house, I, they come dead last. <laughs> but I, Sorry, animal lovers. <laughs> that's okay. But, but seriously, I think being able to model for your children um, that his design is perfect, you know, in, in that beautiful marriage um, between mom and dad. And so I think just prioritizing that family time, fun date nights, um, you know, mommy and daddy time, that's also important. Um, but just being able to say, how can we as our, in, in our family engage and create these routines to show their children, to show your children. So good. Yeah, I mean, I love all the things that you just shared, and I would echo that. I mean, God, spouse, 
kids. I mean, those have got to be in the right priority, but it's hard, right? It's hard when we have little kids running through the house and we have to take care of them. And it's hard when we're running older kids to their practices or to their games. And it's, it's hard to set those times as important and set those aside. But you know, one thing that we try to do in our household is to have a conversation every day, even if that's five minutes, but a connection with each other. And then also have a date night on a regular basis, making sure that we have time for each other and that we're solidifying that relationship. Because really, it creates safety and security and stability for our kids when our marriages are strong. And we want our kids to experience that healthy environment. So the investment in your marriage is gonna pay massive dividends in your family. When I was thinking about this, I just wanna challenge husbands and dads especially. Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Our role as husbands and fathers is so vitally important because you're not just investing in your marriage, you're investing in your children's marriage. And what I mean by that is my son, he recently had a project. It's all, it was all about Henry. And so in that, one of the questions was, who do, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, my wife, when I got home, she said, Henry, tell daddy who you want to be. He said, I want to be a daddy. And he was so excited <laughs> to tell me that. And what that means for me no pressure, he's looking at me to set the temperature for our home, to set that spiritual thermostat for our home. He's looking at my marriage, and he's looking at that for how that's gonna set him up in his marriage. When you hear that, I wanna be a daddy, he's thinking about his marriage. And so it's so important for me as a husband to be thinking about how am I treating my wife? Am I making her first? Am I giving myself up for her? Am I being a good role model for my two boys when they get married, will they know how to treat a woman with respect because of the way that I've treated my wife? Will they know to take their wife out on a date night? Actually, our oldest one time, he said, I wanna take my mom on a date. Where did he learn that behavior? I'm not bragging about myself. He learned it from me because that is a practice that we have in our home. Yeah. We have a date night that we do monthly, time that we spend together. You're setting that temperature for your home. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Make your marriage a priority. And then I just wanna say for all of you single parents, grandparents, raising somebody else, as somebody who my parents divorced, and so I was kind of in a single home, raised by grandparents, you still have tremendous influence. If you're a step-parent, you have a great opportunity to invest in that child, to show them the love of Christ if you're a Christian, to leave a legacy of faith still and to still care for them. If you're a single parent, you have a special blessing you have a special calling, and I know it's tough, but God still is in there with you. Rely on him, trust him to guide you through that. You still have a tremendous amount of influence and impact that you can make. We're so glad you shared that because you know, there's a high percentage today of people who are single parents, and I, I believe the Holy Spirit can give you what you need in those moments to be a single parent, to handle all the things that are happening in your kids' lives. And, and really, it is a special calling, it's a, and there's special blessing in that. So I'm so glad you, you share from personal experience yeah, of that. It, it's difficult. Next question goes a little bit deeper, and... Uh, Challenging, so we live in a sex-saturated culture, we all realize that. How do you strike a balance between protecting our kids and teaching them a healthy understanding of human sexuality? Well, I guess everybody's looking at me, I went last, <laughs> last time, so I gotta go again, oh, here up. I go. So one of the things that I would encourage you to think about, again, examine your behavior as a parent. 
Examine what are you watching? What are you listening to? Again, context matters more than ours. What are your children listening to? Yes, we can listen to clean versions of music, but what are those innuendos in that song? What are they, what are they allowing to influence them? What are you allowing to influence you as a parent? And then I would just encourage you, again, have that safe space to have a dialogue, not a monologue with your children. A monologue is, I'm talking, you're listening. No, you've gotta have that dialogue. You, I heard Jim Burns one time, he said that he would sit down and watch, now this is dated, but the MTV VMA Awards. He would talk about, what did you learn from that? What are some things that you can take away from that? And have that dialogue, talk to your children about it. Because again, we can't bubble wrap them. We're not gonna be there with them 100% of the time. Explain the why. Why do we not watch programs that are sex saturated? Why do we not listen to songs that talk about these types of things? Explain to them why we don't cohabitate before marriage. The why is powerful. We've got to explain that to them and we've got to show them why we don't do these things. Not just talk at them, but talk with them and explain the why. Help them understand why marriage is important and powerful and beautiful. Yeah, I love that, Matthew. Um, I would say start early, early. Um, And so in my mind, I'd like to think that child sexual education starts at birth and continues on throughout their life stage. Um, So not to be afraid of, you know, naming genitals what they are. Let's not be cutesy and, you know, create little nicknames. Let's just literally name them um, and educate them and talk to your children from, you know, little so that they do know. Um, I think it limits confusion. Um, It builds a strong foundation. Um, So when they are going out into the world and they're hearing other things or, you know, they know um, they have that strong foundation. I would also even say um, for parents to um, try not to criticize your child. You know, in fact, don't. <laughs> don't criticize them. Um, you know, maybe they look differently than um, you, you expected, whether that's um, physical abilities or, um, you know, sometimes I hear from clients will say, you know, well, you know, my dad says I'm not strong enough you know, so they feel like they have to be tough or just any type of criticism on their character can be an open door for the enemy to come right on in. He has no problem coming in. He's eager to kill, steal, and destroy. So I believe just speaking truth um, from, an early, from an early age. Yeah. As a parent, I did not receive, so this information I did not receive very well as a child. So as a parent to then turn around and try to talk to my kids about healthy sexuality, it's, it's challenging. It can be awkward. But however, I would rather them learn about healthy biblical perspectives on sexuality in our home than what the world and culture is going to tell them. Because it's going to tell them, and it's going to show them all sorts of things. And I'd rather them learn it from us at home. So even though it's challenging, we want to tackle that. And there's some great resources like Matthew was recommending from Jim Burns. And I think there'll be a link to some of that later. Yeah, actually, Jim Burns has a series of three books. And that's actually about how to teach your kids about healthy human sexuality. And the first one is for ages six through nine, you might think, wow, that's really young. But it's exactly what Courtney said, teaching them to talk about uh, genitalia and just human sexuality in a very understanding, objective way so that you can actually start to have those conversations when they're young. And then it continues into middle school with a purity code, uh, explaining the, the power of sex and why that needs to be inside of marriage. And then also a book that is just for kids that are teenagers, helping them answer some questions they have about sex that maybe they don't wanna talk to mom and dad about. So that link will be in the resource page that we put up at the end, uh, but a great, great resource. 
Well, here's a kind of a personal question, kind of going uh, a little bit of a different turn. Uh, you guys are up here, and some people are probably looking, oh, you have it all together. Your families are perfect. Um, share about a personal failure that you've had with the next generation or with your own kids. How much time do we have? <laughs> you go first, Tia. Okay. So I use horses to work with kids in trauma. And then I traumatized my daughter with a horse. I promised her a beautiful trail ride that would take a max about two hours. And then we got lost. I got a little turnaround, and it took us about four hours on horseback to find our way back to the trailer. We were tired and hungry and frustrated. It even rained on us at one point. It was great. <laughs> well, I was informed that I'm a terrible parent when I shared this, actually. I thought it was good parenting. So... A couple of years ago, we had a youth event, and we had this cooler of Capri Suns. And my son, my oldest, he was probably about two and a half, and he loves Capri Suns. And he knew there were Capri Suns in the cooler. I brought the cooler home because I didn't want to go back to church. I'd been at this event all day, and I was hot and sweaty and just like, I don't want to deal with this right now. And so I left it in there. And so he kept going, Dad, can I have a juice? Juice, Dad. Juice, Dad. Juice, Dad. And finally, I just lost it. I said, you ask me one more time. And I'm going to show you a juice. And so, of course, being two and a half, doesn't understand anything. Juice, Dad. I went and grabbed the juice, walked over the trash can and said, you will never have this juice and threw it in the trash. So don't ask me again. I hope you learned a lesson. So please don't model your parenting after that. <laughs> Do not follow Matthew's lead. Kids are, are anti-fragile. They'll bounce back. They're resilient. I taught them some resiliency that day. He still drinks Capri Suns. It's all, it all worked out. Yeah, no harm, no foul. That's traumatizing. He'll actually. see you. He'll see you next year. Me too. Yeah. For, We're all traumatized in this room from that <laughs> illustration. <laughs> Go ahead, Courtney. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I'm perfect. I don't have any. I was like, um, I'm just gonna learn from your your mess ups and and uh, go about my day. Um, but no, I think, um, so I have two amazing nieces and two amazing nephews, and I think for sure, you know, I've lost my cool sometimes. I'm not really practicing responding, but I've reacted for sure. So that would be mine. We've all done that. And then mine is uh, one time, I, I, obviously as a pastor, I'm going back and forth all the time to different events. And one time I brought my daughter and I was supposed to take my daughter with me from our Zor campus. And I left her. I just left her at the campus. That's not traumatic, you know, when your dad just leaves you at a church by yourself. Um, great job, family pastor. You got it all together. It's awesome. Well, we had a couple questions submitted kind of last minute in the last few days, and one of them was really a great question I think applies to a lot of families. It's this question, how can we as parents help foster relationships between siblings? And sometimes siblings don't get along. How do we encourage them to get along to support each other as a family? I think family identity is so important to establish. So we call ourselves the Tharp clan. I'm pointing this way, but I'm not actually including the two in the middle. I realized I was We're doing not that. Your Thanks for Sorry. taking me into your family. Um, they're now a part of the Tharp clan <laughs> that way. Um, so we call ourselves the Tharp clan, and that has helped foster like who we are and what we're about. And then we got to flesh that out a little bit more. There was a parenting class here at Good Shepherd, and we got to make a family covenant. And the pieces that were in there that helped describe who we are as a, as a family, as the Tharp clan, we had a friend 
paint it and make a sign into, that we could hang up in our house because we loved it so much and we want our kids to know this is who we are as a family. And I think it's important to help your kids be for each other, to celebrate and cheer each other on, even if it's an activity that they don't really particularly love or something that they're not passionate about. So at our household, Brinley is in the band, so we say, Layton, we're all going to the concerts together and we're gonna cheer her on as she's playing her instrument. Brinley, your brother's in track, so guess what? You get to go sit on those bleachers with us on those windy evenings and watch your brother run, and we're going to yell his name. And then at the end, we celebrate together. So cheering each each other on, celebrating that together, and doing things as a family. Yeah, I would add um, not to compare your children um, and celebrate their differences. So they're going to be different. They have different talents, different gifts, different skills. So not to make one feel less than or not good enough. and then I also um, think it's important to get to the root of sibling conflict. So being able to model um, what that looks like and getting under, r- underneath what's actually going on um, and, and be able to resolu- come to a resolution. Um, another thing is appreciate um, teamwork and create team tasks around the house. So that might look like chores or different play activities. Um, and I found that a lot of siblings love to go against parents. Um, so be able to like come up with really fun, creative games and ideas where they can work together you know, against, yes. against you. Mm-hmm. So good. Well, I have two boys, so there's no sibling rivalry at all. Actually, we have, <laughs> yeah. we have a loft in our house and it's just funny listening to the conversations that happen between our two boys. Our youngest recently, he said, you don't spank me, I'm not a brother, and ran off and said, you don't get nice at me. So we don't have any issues with this. No, we have, we have plenty of sibling rivalry. But one of the things that my wife is always really good about, she says, we need to let them try and work that out. Now, there are times where we need to get involved, but we also need to give them the opportunity to talk to each other, to learn how to work that out, because there will be, there will be a time when we're not there, and they need to learn how to be brothers, and they need to learn how to work out their differences and how to communicate and talk to each other and how to work out some of that conflict. And so we try not to jump in right away, but we try to let them work it out in a healthy way and help them communicate with one another. Like you said, create that. We're a family. We do things together. We play games together. We try to find those times of let's, let's play balls together. Let's go out and play video games together. Let's find that time to do things together as a family. Well, we're running out of time, so we're going to wrap up with this final question. What's one thing you want parents to remember as they raise their kids? I'll go. I would say to invite the Holy Spirit into your homes, into your lives every single day. Um, because even though we may fall, Christ is right there to walk alongside and pick us up. Yes. So good. Well, I brought this ball on stage, so I'm going to use it one last time. Because you're like the ball, too. There are going to be times when you fall. There are going to be times when you fail as a parent. And that's part of life. But when you fall, God is going to catch you and pick you up. He redeems our failures. He redeems those mistakes that we make. And it's okay if you've made mistakes as a parent. Don't be afraid to get back up again. Don't be afraid. Know that you're like the ball. You will bounce back. You are resilient as well. And don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid to fail as a parent. It's going to happen. No matter how good you are, you're never going to be as good as me. But after that story... (laughs) But you're going to bounce back. I promise you that. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. 
I just want you to take a deep breath. This is a lot of information. It's a lot of things to process. And sometimes parenting, that whole journey can be overwhelming. But the good thing is that Jesus loves our kids more than we ever could. And he walks alongside us in our parenting so we don't parent alone. Yeah, and I, I, I would echo that um, because that's one of the things I think as believers, as followers of Jesus, that we have to understand. God loves our kids even more than we do. And man, is that such a release for me as a dad? Because if it's my job to protect them and, and do absolutely everything right, I'm just gonna be a miserable failure. But if I know God's in this, that he's gonna walk alongside me, and when I do make mistakes, I acknowledge those. I ask for, uh, I apologize to my own kids. I ask for forgiveness from them. That, that's modeling to them, this is what it looks like to be wrong. And we're all gonna be there. And just to know that God walks alongside us, he empowers us by his Holy Spirit, so powerful as a parent. Well, I've, I've loved having these three share. Will you thank them with me? Well, I mentioned that we have some resources. Some of the things we mentioned actually in our conversation, we put together a resource page and it's up on our phase page. You can go to gsumc.org slash phase. There's some other great resources there like a weekly dinner conversation you can have with your kids that's spiritual in nature. It's asking one spiritual question at the dinner table that will impact uh, them spiritually. But also resources we mentioned here, there are all kinds of links on that page. You can go to and download those and, and find some resources that might be a good fit for you as a parent. But one final thing I want to do as we wrap up is I, I want to pray. And maybe this morning, uh, you, you have prayer requests that relate to your own family, maybe your immediate family. And our prayer team's going to be here at the close of the service to pray with you. They'd love to pray for you and pray with you over whatever's happening in your heart and in your life and even in your family. So let's pray together as we close. Father, we thank you and praise you for the privilege we have to raise kids. And Lord, we do that as parents, as grandparents, as guardians, or we even do it as a church, as we invest in the next generation. Help us to do that well. Enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be the kind of parents and grandparents who point our kids to you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day, for this time. Empower us as we go. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, Amen and amen.